tree falls in a forest and nobody is there to hear it fall, did it really fall at all? You could probably ask the same question of a football match that Norwich City and Wigan Athletic played on Saturday that ended nil-nil because there wasn't an awful lot that happened. Uh, yet we're going to try and uh, pack everything that did happen into an action-filled uh, hour or so. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm your host, Connor Southwell, joined as ever by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman to pick through all the fun and all the talking points that Saturday's game in the Northwest threw up. Pad, um, where, well, I mean, where to start? We've simply got so much to talk about from that game uh, on Saturday. Nil-nil draw. Um, let, let's let's start by talking about Norwich City's performance and, and maybe less so kind of what happens, but more so the way that they are existing and playing at the moment where, and, and we discussed this a little bit yesterday, but there's such a big range of performance. We go from the level that we saw on Tuesday night, which was very good when they, when they were commanding, they were controlling, they were able to kind of shrug off a whole side who probably did play to their strengths, if we're honest, but it was a good performance. Obviously, before that, we then had well, everything that we spoke about last week at Bristol City. We're kind of back there again, aren't we, with this performance in terms of that inconsistency and that inability, really, to kind of show uh, a level or a base level that enables them to win games consistently at this level, which probably ultimately brings us to to where we are at this moment and why this group is in the position that it's in at the moment. Absolutely. Consistently inconsistent. And that's why they probably will fall short because the teams who will make the playoffs will harness that. You see the Millwalls of this world, um, Middlesbrough, prime example, in the last month or so, hit a groove, winning games. Probably not, I'm sure if you've studied those respective teams, that they're not performing perfectly every game, but they're grinding out results home and away. They're going through periods of adversity. They're, they're, they're seemingly able to come through uh, and keep the thing on the road. And Norwich aren't, unfortunately. I think the most – I mean, I put, I put that directly to David Wagner after the game, actually, about the the range in performance because he talked about the range in emotions when they conceded or scored and he wanted to bring it back round to the, that that thing that he was talking about rather than this – because really, for me, the two are connected. You know, why is this group of players from one week to the next, you're never quite sure what you're going to get with them, um, even with the change of coach. But for me, the most selling aspect – was yesterday's game because for the first 15, 20 minutes, and we'll get into it, I know in full, fuller detail, but high-pressing team like Burnley, like Bristol City, really found it uncomfortable, needed Angus Gunn to keep them in the game. And then it it felt like maybe a combination of the, the intensity from Wigan dropped a, a touch, but, but also Norwich seemed to deconstruct that problem, which I hadn't done in the previous games I mentioned there. And for 15, 20 minutes, you thought, yeah, this this is this is looking like it could be a good afternoon again because they were starting to pin Wigan back. There was a chance for Sargent, the only recorded chance on target. There was another chance from outside the box, you know, on El Hernandez. And you just thought, this is this is positive. This is a breakthrough moment for me because having found an inability to counteract teams doing the similar things in previous weeks, here we go. But then there was an injury. I just checked that the player involved was Jack Whitmore. He was down for five or ten minutes. One of the Wigan defenders had to go off eventually. And the other side of that, between there and half time, it was the first 15 minutes again, where effectively Angus Gunn had to keep him in the game. They too many sloppy turnovers, Gabby Zara. I'm not singling him out, but you know, he was at the hub of it, you know. Um, really poor, really poor. And that's 
basically distilling it down to a, a, a 45 minutes of football, whether they were where they were poor, they were decent, and they were poor again. And you know, ultimately, it's probably going to take a lot more than a, an hour's podcast to, to get into what on earth is going on here and what challenge Wagner faces. When I did put it to him, why were you so poor in that first 45 minutes? He almost blew out his cheeks and kind of talked about fatigue factor a little bit and, you know, again, referred back to the lack of intensity and, and not being brave enough. But it sounded like it's probably going to be something that's going to need an end of a season, a pre-season and a new season to get to the real nub of it and probably new players mixed into there as well because, you know, six league games in now, two two wins, three wins, three defeats, sorry, two defeats and a draw, but it felt like a defeat yesterday and three blanks in, in those three games that they didn't win. So there's some seismic differences in performance, in results, in what they're doing within games, irrespective of the opponent. And it just feels now it's, you know, let's just let's just get to the end of the season and let's see what they can do. And in that regard, there's a clear parallel with Dean Smith because it felt like this stage last season, right, the, the Premier League game is up. We just need to get to the summer. Dean Smith can get a full pre-season into that group of players, can bring in maybe a player or two, refresh the squad, but embed his, his philosophy and his, his principles, as he kept telling us he was going to do. And then there can be an optimistic look forward to the new season. It feels to me, different head coach, different theory on how he wants to play, clearly. But we're back there again. And it's just, can we just navigate the rest of this season? Um, hopefully get a few positives from some younger players. And Liam Gibbs, again, we saw from him. I thought he showed a few things. Moving forward, you could use him in a more leading role. But essentially this season feels like, as we were sat here last Sunday discussing it, this season has gone in terms of the promotion set up because they're too inconsistent. Even if they were now to, to roll on to Car Road Tuesday night, come in Birmingham and, and, and serve up a whole-type performance, you'd still fear that the next game would be a regressive step. So I think the evidence is fairly compelling now. It's going to take a summer and probably more, but, but some astute work in the market and on the training field from Wagner and his coaches to get past where we are now, which was one step forward, one back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. You, you used the word emotion, and, and I mentioned this in my, my, my verdict um, last night, where, and it feels like, and I'm not blaming supporters at all, but uh, and, 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 and it's easy, I think, when you're in and around it, because of how they kind of bounce up and down in their performance levels and in their results, it kind of feels like one week they're going to finish in the top six, and the next they're, they're probably going to finish somewhere uh, between about eighth and, and, and twelfth. And that I guess Sam is is reflective of, of where they're at because they are so up and down. They, they are they're proving that they're this kind of two two faced multi faceted side. Uh, we don't know what we're going to get with them. They either run quite hot or, or very cold, and it's quite it's quite drastic as well. The levels of performance because it feels like like with Hull, it was either particularly high or particularly low. There doesn't seem to be a middle ground. And for good teams, and, and we kind of discussed this walking out of the ground yesterday. You could look at it, and, and I'm sure David Wagner might say. Well, if you can't win that game, don't lose it. But on the flip side, it's one of those where good teams probably win it 1-0 and they probably find a way to grind it out. And that that probably is why Norwich City are short at this moment in time in, in terms of league position. But also, if you want to extend it further to those kind of teams right at the top of the league in terms of Burnley, Middlesbrough and, and Sheffield United. Yeah, I agree. And I was out speaking to fans after the match yesterday and the main theme that kept coming up with their assessment of the performance was inconsistency and they felt that this was the main problem with um, the team and I'd agree with that how many times in the last couple of weeks have we mentioned that word 
inconsistency or said that the way they need to improve is by improving on that. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, the, the sort of team that they were coming up against. And I think even if you're towards the top of the table, depending on the context, you could probably spin that um, in your way. I imagine when that one all draw with Wigan happened um, a few years ago and there were 5,000 fans there, I don't remember any sort of serious panic about Norwich City's promotion credentials because I think in the context of flying at the top of the championship, those are the sorts of points that get praised and those cliches get thrown around a little bit of, you know, the best teams grind out results even when they're not at their best. And, you know, I think a point on the road on a terrible pitch when you haven't performed at your best probably isn't too bad of a result. But the context is that Norwich need to start producing wins now because they're harbouring ambitions of a playoff place and that's slipping further and further away with every game. And you look at the, the fixture list and obviously starting with the whole game, the, obviously the, the, the few games, including that Wigan game, and you looked at that and thought, if Norwich are going to make a run for it, this really does look like the run of games where they need to put it together and beat some of the teams that they'd be expected to beat. And the main concern for me is that those games are running out rapidly for David Wagner. I think yesterday he got asked whether his sort of playoff ambitions had had maybe wilted a little bit and how much attention he was paying to that. He said he wasn't looking at the table, but I'm sure everyone in that football club will be aware there is really limited time now. And although a few of the clubs in and around the playoffs are faltering, the number of teams between them and that sixth place, place that I'm sure they'd take at this stage of the season um, does make it quite difficult. And they've not got too many more games against really winnable teams where you look at it and say, um, they've got to go and do it now. So I think looking at that in isolation, I perhaps wouldn't feel particularly negative apart from the incredibly boring um, 90 minutes of football that 1,400 travelling fans had to sit through. But within the context, yeah, those opportunities are running out and David Wagner does need to do something in the short term because we can talk about the project and how big of a task he's got as much as we want. There's no doubt the requirements or maybe not requirements but the goal for him from above remains get the team into the playoffs and that will still be an objective right up until it's not mathematically possible so um it is a huge job for David Wagner but he probably needs to start finding ways to help his team win very very quickly because as I said not too many easier fixtures um they've got left and that playoff goal is getting further and further away now yeah, it's, it's it's still only three points. It feels a lot a lot more than that. Obviously, Millwall have a, a game in hand, um, and and they're currently the team in sixth. Sunderland also, I think, uh, three points um, as well. But I mean, the, the nature of, of their performances and and the, their inconsistency, I suppose, you're looking at a two game swing, and the reality is they can't string two really good performances together, or, or not very often, at least. We only really sort of saw that with Preston and Coventry, and even then, David Wagner wasn't particularly pleased with what they displayed at Coventry. I mean, you're right to mention context. This this uh, 0-0 draw was a, a team who, yes, have, have improved over the last four games or so. They're unbeaten since uh, Sean Maloney took over from, from Colo Torre. They, they did end the, the afternoon sitting bottom of the championship after wins for Blackpool and uh, Neil Warnock's Huddersfield. Who else? Um, but uh, they did, I, I felt, feel look better than quite a few teams that I've seen in the championship so far this season. So it's a, it, it can be a funny old league at points. 
but Paddy, I think um, this was the eighth game this season uh, that Norwich City have had one shot uh, on target. To put that in context, that's more than they managed in both of their title-winning campaigns, but it's also only one fewer than they managed in the Premier League last season. They only had nine games with just one shot on target or fewer, which is um, which is quite incredible. So we've got 14 games to try and ensure that they don't overtake that record. And we talk about those issues at the top end of the pitch, which have persisted all season. We probably then talk about individual errors at the other end, which have persisted all season. It probably feels, I'm sure Sean Maloney said this after the game, that if his side were, were more ruthless, more clinical in front of goal in, in that opening 20-minute spell where they had three really, really good opportunities, this game probably could have and would have transpired in a completely different way. Yeah, I might just put you on the spot there. You said eight times this season they've only had one recorded shot. I'm pretty sure yesterday, Bristol on City... Target. On target. One on target. Yeah, I think Bristol City the previous week was one on target and I'm not... I'm pretty sure Burnley at Car Road was if it was one, that was it was it was more that was the most. So if three of those eight have come under David Wagner, you know, that, that doesn't bode very well in terms of well maybe what it does actually say is as I you can, said yeah. I can I can I can help you here. So yeah, uh, it was one shot on target away at Bristol City. It was one shot uh, on target at home to Burnley. You have to go back to their 1-0 defeat to Watford in in uh, in January. But interestingly, I think five of uh, of those games have come since December. So <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's really three, interesting. Three, Connor, three of those have come under David Wagner and he's only had yeah. six championship games. So with the League Cup thrown in as well, I presume that's all competition. So that in itself would tell you and he, he, to be fair, he framed it. I think it was certainly if it, if it wasn't his official unveiling, it was maybe the press he did after the Blackburn game, his first game officially in charge, where he said, "Look, these players will now have to come on a journey with me. My philosophy, if you want to use that, is very different to the previous incumbent, and there will be." I remember him distinctly saying, "Very uncomfortable moments and challenges for these players," and those stats for me underline that is the case. That what he's asking them to do. Maybe one or two are struggling to grasp it, certainly in the more progressive areas of the pitch, midfield and forward areas, because one shot on target isn't an acceptable end product, is it, ultimately? And I know they've had, in those games we've just referenced there, they had the dominant amounts of possession, not obviously the Burnley game, but certainly Bristol and, and Wigan. So it isn't a lack of ball they're seeing, it's what they're doing with the ball. And, you know, I thought it was interesting as well. He he, he added, he felt, and he referenced it with Andrew Omabamadeli's half-time Withdrawal that maybe there was a tiredness factor and a fatigue factor given the a the, the run they're in in terms of games, but b the demands that he places on these players both in training. We've heard about he wants to train as they play, high intensity, full full throttle, um, and those fitness issues. Let's be honest, they were there when Dean Smith was in charge. You know, lack of fitness, the amount of games they were losing late on. Um, so you know, if if basically far, far uh, sorry Wagner is placing a. a a premium on even greater fitness levels than they had previously, and they're not—they're not there. They're not—they're not at those levels. Then, to repeat what I said initially, it all goes back to I think it's going to need a pre-season. It's going to need a block of what he can get into them in terms of the physical requirements he wants for them to play his style of football. And on top of that, obviously, then you know we'll have to refresh the playing squad, uh, or in some cases, the playing squad will be refreshed for him with with contractual situations in the background. So, you know. This all flows from that ultimately. Then I think what we need here is a very, I saw a very good point on social media this morning that he's not a pragmatic coach, which you might class Dean Smith as, 
who will do what it takes and whatever system it takes to try and win a game of football. He's a he's a almost a philosophical coach in the same mould as Farker. Goes about it in a different way in terms of what he wants his team to do, but is very regimented in his what he wants what he wants to see on the pitch, how he wants to play games, how he wants to win games, how he wants to dominate games. And if that is the case, he may be discovering, and we're all discovering, that he doesn't have the players, really, in the quantities he needs to play that style of football. So if that's the case, that isn't going to change between now and the end of the season. He can rotate. One or two of them might get it. The penny might drop, and we might see an improved consistency in performance and result. But fundamentally, if he hasn't really got the players he needs to carry it out, particularly to come a full circle to this point, creating shots on target, um, then then I think it's gonna, it's going to need a refresh because you've seen it in the Preston game and in the Coventry game and the Hull game. They can do it, but can they do it consistently? And the answer so far after six game sample in the championship is no, they can't. So, you know, I think this all feeds to me to the same point, which is it's going to need a big refresh this summer uh, and, a, and a chance freed from the game cycle for him to, to really get to work and and then probably the time to judge him will be next season, as it was with Dean Smith. Yeah, which is which is what it took for him at Huddersfield as well, wasn't it? He he came in, I think, in the November when he replaced Chris Powell and very, very obviously very different squad, very different set of circumstances, but it still took him a summer and a pre-season and some really kind of specified recruitment and players coming in that, that could could play his style of play to really transform their fortunes. So um he has got a track record of being able to do it before. Um and 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 that's that's that it, it is interesting, Sam, in terms of where where Norwich are because it has been kind of feast or famine under him, hasn't it? Because I think they've scored eleven goals in his six games in charge. Only Burnley have scored more, but three of them have ended in nil. And 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 as you know, as we've spoken about, they've had one shot on target in each of those three games where they failed to score. So, I mean, uh, if we want to get to the heart of why Norwich City are where they are this season, it is that inconsistency, and it is that. Those individual errors that we saw them make in the first half, Kenny McLean giving a cheap concession, Grant Hanley as well. You could list a, a few others. And it, it's difficult to see how you kind of repair that with coaching. It feels like it needs, kind of as, as we've hinted at and as we spoke about in depth last week, feels like it needs to be a little bit bigger than that, doesn't it? It feels like the surgery needs to be perhaps a, a little bit more significant than perhaps what maybe some people would feel feel like when we talk about the quality that this squad has on on, on paper, which has been discussed by everyone uh, and you know all season really. Yeah, and I think what's stood out to me is a strange discrepancy between what Norwich were hoping to do this season and where they've been successful previously. We heard them talking before the start of the season about how good they felt this squad was for the championship, about why they didn't feel the need for significant recruitment or rebuild last summer. And it felt to me that they were maybe overlooking some of those intangibles. The fact that a lot of those those players have been there and done that before and maybe don't have the hunger to achieve another promotion. The fact that it's an ageing squad um, and that some of the leaders that were, were there previously have, have now departed. And it feels such a strange departure from where they were in 2018 when it felt like those intangibles were really at the top of of Stuart Webber's priorities and he spoke so much in his early interviews about the importance of culture and not having um, sort of high wage earners in the dressing room or sitting in the stands not having an impact on the team and it feels like to me those principles have maybe been forgotten a little bit and when they looked at the squad um, last summer they failed to consider some of the intangible elements and just looked at 
this is a squad full of players who have won the championship before, who have done this in their career and this and this and plenty of appearances in at this level. Um, and they fail to consider the fact that perhaps there were those those elements that at many clubs indicate the need for a rebuild. Um, but I wouldn't say it's only those major elements. You spoke about the individual errors and I think David Wagner was right yesterday to highlight the lack of concentration in the team because you look at the levels of these players, um, they are playing against, as much as they're playing against a high-pressing team that puts pressure on your ability to play out from the back, they are playing against a championship high-press and a high-press that's seen Wigan only to the bottom of the championship table up until now. And with the quality of player they've got, they should have the ability to play through that press. And as much as Wagner wanted to mitigate it with tiredness and the fact that Norwich obviously played on Tuesday night, they were playing against the Wigan side who travelled back from Bristol on Wednesday night. And I think those elements aren't too much of an excuse when they're giving the ball away so often. I think what, what Wagner said about concentration to me was more pertinent regarding some of the mistakes they made because it was almost painful to watch at times in the first half, watching them four, five, six times give the ball away deep in their own half. And any team, even I'd say top half of the championship, I think would have put them to the sword, let alone the Premier League where they aspire to get to. Um, and they were just very lucky that I think Will Keane missed a, a couple of really, really good chances. Um, and they were left, thankfully, with a clean sheet because that those levels of concentration aren't acceptable any, in any professional football game. And um, I think that was one of the principal issues yesterday. But as you said, some of those intangibles are really coming out now and they're not left in the dressing room. They're elements that, that fans can see and that are coming out in the performance now. And I, I'm not criticising players too much. I think maybe people would would see this as slightly harsh, but I understand the fact that if you're not a Norwich fan and you've already won the championship two times is there that is there that motivation? And all players would defend themselves and say that professional pride, of course, they want to be promoted. But just on a subconscious, subconscious level, they've been promoted twice in their career. They've been embarrassingly um, relegated and humiliate, humiliated in the top flight before. What's the ambition to, to really go and do that again? So I think that's one of the main reasons why they need that rebuild um, that we keep talking about. But there are also some really basic individual errors that I think they should be able to cut out in the next couple of weeks because there's not really too many excuses that you can find for players of that level giving the ball away in their own half on a, a really regular basis. Yeah, and I, I think there's a, a lack of confidence as well or a brittleness maybe to their, their confidence because you, you see it and maybe it's reflected in why this team is so inconsistent because when they play well, when they manage to get themselves a goal ahead, suddenly everything looks effortless and you've got players who want to come and receive the ball and, and do some nice stuff in possession. When there's some adversity or they go a goal behind or there's some kind of challenge, be it a pitch, be it fatigue, whatever, they really struggle to overcome that and, and that's not necessarily a quality that we've associated with Norwich City's championship sides in the past who have always managed to find a way and that feels fundamentally the difference and and that is mentality and and it exposes the, the brittleness of, of their confidence uh, I guess. Um, Pad I, I guess that, that this kind of lends us nicely because we've spoken a little bit about the lack of, of goals and the lack of attacking output uh, at Wigan but, but also generally you could probably extend that throughout the whole season I, I've seen a, a, a relative, you know, only on social media, of course, which is which is all we we, we have to get. Maybe Sam experienced it. Um, 
after the game as well. But some criticism for, for Adam Eder, who, of course, has just been handed a, a five-year deal. He now, after Josh Sargent limped off, um, and it is a major doubt for Tuesday's game against Birmingham, he is Norwich City's only fit senior striker now. Um, I think it was only his 12th ever start on Saturday, which is remarkable considering he's made 70-odd appearances for, for Norwich City. That criticism that, that he receives, is that fair in your view? I mean, to me, it feels slightly misdirected because the, the same issues that we've discussed Timu Puki having with service this season, Adam Ida is is having. The same issues that Timu Puki has had this season, Josh Sargent is having. So it kind of feels for me, whoever those two strikers are, if Norwich City play in, in, in this type of way, that kind of ugly performance that we've seen that is the other side of them, you could have whoever you like, up Erling Haaland or whoever you want up front, and they would still struggle with output and, and getting shots on target because of the way that the team functions in and around them. I think that's incredibly harsh, if I'm honest. Um, just check back, and, and Wigan was only his second consecutive league start this season. He's had a very heavily disrupted season with injury off the back of last season ending rather abruptly with a knee problem. When he just started to suggest under a coach who really believed in him, let's be honest, to give Dean Smith some kudos that he could actually be maybe maybe a decent force at Premier League level. Just scored his first league top-flight goal in that win against Everton. He was good at Watford. He was good at West Ham. Um, and that's that's him, really. That's his career to date. The, the, the stats you reference about starts and, and disrupted spells are really related to fitness and injury. And, and it was telling, you know, talking about that five-year contract. But if you go back and look at the club statement, uh, Stuart Webber seemed to be wanting to make a point about the credit to the, the the fitness and the sports science guys and and almost the work that they're doing now to try and make him a bit more resistant to these injury periods. Because I don't think there's any doubt the talent is there. He just needs to play regularly. He just needs to play regularly and feel that he's playing for a coach who believes in him. And this coach, clearly, judging by the comments that David Wagner came out with when he his new contract was announced about what a talent he is and he's worked with other very good talents at Dortmund and Hoffenheim and and he's in that bracket, you know, there's no doubt. But you cannot expect a guy who hasn't really played a huge amount of football in the last 12 months or so now um, to come in and in a team who aren't performing very well on a consistent level, not creating the, the types of service that he needs, really to give him his due, that he's going to come in and, and, and make the difference. I think that's completely unrealistic and very unfair to Adam Eder. It's ultimately, you know, maybe that what we see too often where certain players, you know, will get singled out and, you know, the, 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 or some of the broader ills are maybe put at their door because people are looking around for what, why isn't this team able to follow up? But he was very good against Hull three or four days ago. So, you know, why Adam Eder would be uh, singled out, I don't see that after Wigan. On El Hernandez, look at his performance level and how it dropped from Hull to Wigan. Gabby Zara, you could go on and right through the team. So, no, I obviously, you know, there is an onus on him if we go to Tuesday in Birmingham and there's no sergeant and there's no Pookie. But I think there also needs to be a realism about this is a player still very much on the combat trail. He said himself, when that contract was announced, he sat down with the club what are his targets for the rest of this season? Ideally, yep, be part of a promotion win inside, but just to play regularly, just to play regularly, get minutes on the pitch and hopefully build the confidence in his own body because he'll have those questions at the back of his head. Is my body going to break down again? All of this joint compromise stuff Dean Smith came out with, that won't have done him any favours either. You spoke to him actually after the game. You might, might want to talk a little bit about that, Connor. But no, I I, I think any any criticism over and above 
what any other player offered yesterday is is very unfair. And I, and I think we need to just re- retain a bit of balance and the context. And if Adamida gets a complete injury-free run between now and the end of the season and his performance levels are not considerably higher, then probably he deserves a bit of criticism. And and then it'll be about, he'll have to go away, have a good hard think about what he's trying to do and come back in the summer injury-free and really hit the ground running. Because we can't, with him, we can't keep being in this cycle. Well, he's a prospect. He's got all the talent in the world. We need to actually see him deliver now. He's getting to an age where players of his age around the leagues are delivering. And, uh, you know, talent is one thing, but but it needs to it needs to become tangible end product on a regular basis. Um, otherwise, you know, we've seen it before. We've seen this path with many players at Norwich who were touted as being, you know, good prospects and they just fall away and their careers tail off. And you wouldn't want that to happen to him because I think there is a player in there. Um, but he needs to help himself. And hopefully, you know, he gets a bit of luck in terms of the injury and the fitness front. Yeah, potential very quickly becomes wasted opportunity, doesn't it? I think that that it, football moves so quickly that that's that's the way it can transpire. I mean, he's he's twenty two now, so beginning to kind of leave that sort of young period of, of being classified as a, as a young player, probably another year or so. But um, it, it it does feel like it has to kind of be now. And uh, and you're right, I did speak to him after the game, and I'd say all of those reflections that you just gave, he gave as well in terms of actually just needing to prove to his body that he can he can withstand what 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 is being thrown in his direction and obviously now that's kind of um uh proven i guess by the fact that he's now going to have to play twice in a week uh most probably um after basically not playing for a year and a half so that's um that's that's going to be really interesting particularly when you throw in that david wagner said on thursday at his pre-match press conference that they were going to have to manage him a little bit and manage his load and there is obviously that that kind of knee issue and he, he spoke about how that's in the back of his mind and how he kind of needs to prove to himself that he can withstand the load. But I agree. I think the criticism is is over the top. I think it is harsh. And, and you look actually at the one attacking moment that Norwich had, that one shot on target from Josh Sargent, it came from him shrugging off a defender and playing a ball through. It was an excellent piece of uh, of play, obviously from a, a lovely pass from Gabby Sarah initially. Um, and, and what I see is, is a player who has all the attributes to be quite a complete striker, actually, in terms of he can go behind, he can drop in, he can finish. Um but like all strikers, he's he's dependent on service and the amount of goals that he scores will come down to service. So, Sam, I'll, I'll bring you in on this. Adam Eder kind of feels, again, like he's taken a brunt of the criticism. Maybe it's because of that five-year contract and maybe because people uh, are maybe seeing a, a body of evidence so far, which has been fairly limited, as we said, 12 starts. I don't know how many goals are off the top of my head, but it's certainly not, not a huge amount. Um, and they're maybe suggesting that that, body of work that they've seen from him over the last four years, which again, he's been behind Temu Puki. That's very hard for anybody in the form that Temu Puki has been in at Norwich. And actually maybe looking ahead, it's difficult for some people to see how he can break out of this kind of cycle that he's in at the moment that Paddy kind of discussed, where it's a run of games, maybe an odd goal here or there, and then you don't see him again for six months. Yeah, I really like him as a player, actually. And I think he offers a lot of different elements, but the adaptation, I think, for Norwich when he comes into the team is that he is a very different player to Tamer Pookie and the focal point of the team for the last five years, really. So those players around him, the likes of Gabriel Sara, Onel Hernandez, um, Kieran Dow, they do have a bit of adapting to do when he's in that striking role because the same sorts of service Tamer Pookie wants probably isn't exactly what Adam Eder wants. I think Eder probably wants a little bit more space. Perhaps he thrives more off 
the counter-attacking and dribbling and attacking defenders. Um, so I think that sort of disjointed element with the players around him and the inconsistency of building those bonds doesn't help him either. So in a sense, as much as I don't want to add to the sort of uh, the theory that maybe Norwich City would be better off with without Tamer Cookie, because I think that's certainly not true. But in the long term, I think the Finns' departure, whenever that does come, may well be good for, for the career of Adam Eder. Um He is quite a different player. And the fact that Wagner has signed off on this really long contract suggests that despite the fact that he does like to play attacking football and largely possession-based football, Eder does fit his system and perhaps he's more of the physical, um, aggressive pressing striker that Wagner likes than, than maybe Pukki is at 33, I think he is now, 32 or 33. Um, and I sort of do understand that. I think Eder's pressing is really, really good. And as much as that's not a an element that probably most fans are looking out for, that's one of those things that head coaches will really look out for and really appreciate. So I understand why Wagner's put a lot of trust in him. The talent is undoubted, especially um, when you look at the amount, the number of names sort of behind the scenes and in the media that have spoken about what a promising player Adam Eder can be. Even at youth level, he was standing out amongst his peers to a really significant degree. Um, so I think he can achieve a lot in his career, but it's just about those disparate styles between him and perhaps some of the players around him. And I think the summer recruitment could actually be set up to help people like Adam Eder and Josh Sargent because um, Dean Smith did assemble a squad and perhaps even Stuart Webber is, is due a little bit of criticism for that in the last few years as well that doesn't really all align. I think the best thing about those Daniel Farker teams that won the championship on two occasions was that they were clearly very attuned to playing a certain style. And now I think you've got players like Kieran Dowell, who are probably perfect for a very possession-based, um, creative team. And then you've got the likes of Josh Sargent and Adam Eder, Ono Hernandez, maybe even Gabriel Sarad thrown into the bracket of sort of counter-attacking physical players and I think once Norwich can decide on what it is they want to do the strikers are always the ones that are going to thrive on that the most because in a way as much as they're seen as the stars of the team and they're scoring the goals they're the ones who are reliant on their teammates more than any of the others you know you look at defenders and they just have you know as much as they'd like help from the midfield they have work to do and they just do it whereas the strikers are stranded they're useless unless somebody can help them. And I think that's probably a big part of why Adam Eder's career hasn't really kicked off. But Paddy's point for me is the biggest reason why Eder hasn't quite kicked on yet. And the injuries just mean that he hasn't been able to put three, four or five starts together really at any point during his Norwich career. And I think once he can achieve that, um, for me, he can be a big player, but it's just about how regularly he can. Because if we're looking at across this five-year contract, him playing three games in a row on... 10 occasions that's not really enough and that will be a massive waste of his talent but of course there will always be those worries around him given he's been branded by Dean Smith as that joint compromised athlete and the, the injury problems are there for all to see so hopefully he can overcome them but I think there is a, a really good player um, behind all those mitigating factors that maybe he's he struggled with early on in his uh, Norwich career. Yeah you, you've seen it with with Temi Puki. I saw it with Adam Eder a bit yesterday just how um, just how much they drop and want to receive the ball in in tight areas and have to come pretty deep to to drop 
to, to 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 get involved in the play, and that's not necessarily the position that any striker wants to be in necessarily. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of pans out between now and the end of the season. Uh, Sam has, uh, has has departed now, so it's just uh, me and Pad in your company, three down to two. Uh, Pad, I mean, I'm I'm looking at I've got Norwich City's fixtures ahead of me, uh, in front of me. Sorry. Um, the next week, I think, is as is. It's it's Birmingham and Cardiff at home. They're games that uh, you know, and we've said, and we said this last week. They're, they're a block of games that Norwich City needed to get points from. We've we've kind of said that from from the last five really, and they've managed to get what four from from three really when when they probably needed a bigger total than that in reality. This week does feel uh, like a, again. I'll use the word opportunity because you look at those two games that have suddenly appeared on the horizon now against Millwall and Sunderland. I think they're sixth and fifth at the moment. Uh, obviously, a trip to Millwall on the fourth of March. Uh, they're currently ten unbeaten at the Den. Gary Rowett doing an unbelievable job there to get them in contention for the playoffs. I mean, they've been flirting with it for a few seasons, but this feels now like the year they might break into it. And then obviously that home game against Sunderland on March the twelfth, midday, Carrow Road. Um, is also very interesting. And and, and again, the, the fact that, not that I want us to look so far ahead necessarily, but those two games are interesting because uh, a criticism that we've thrown at Norwich and that has been at Norwich all season is that they fail to beat those teams who are above them and are in and around that top six position. Well, that those are two teams that they beat earlier on in the season. So in terms of teeing up those two games, which is, I suppose, how we frame this discussion, if, again, I want to use the word opportunity. What a real opportunity they've got this week against Birmingham and Cardiff, who are two teams. I mean, Birmingham uh, are sitting at the wrong end of the table and feel like they'll probably stay up under John Eustace, but they've had their difficulties. Cardiff, who are who can't score for love nor money, but but actually defensively aren't too bad. So two really interesting encounters. But I guess, again, this is probably links back to our earlier discussion. It all depends what Norwich City we're, we're going to see and we're going to get in those two games. Yeah, I mean the problem is after if we'd had this discussion after you know the day after the Hull win last week, then it'd be doesn't matter who they play. You know Norwich are uh, flying now; they're onwards and they're upwards. Um, everything's clicked. They understand what David Wagner is wanting them to do. They can carry it out and um, and bring it on. But now you you've, you've listed those clubs. I just see demons everywhere. I see John Roddy coming back with Birmingham. I don't think because Birmingham were here obviously earlier in the League Cup earlier in the season, but I don't think he played that night off the top of my head. So. You know, this this is for a number of years his his first competitive return. He's playing well by all accounts for 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 Birmingham side, scrapping for survival. He definitely will want to put on a super show when he gets to Cairo Tuesday night. Um, and then the other side of that Sunderland and Millwall is the small matter of Huddersfield away and Neil Warnock under under new uh, new management at the Terriers. Who I think won yesterday, didn't they? So, and you've got the Weber, you've got the Wagner sort of angle to that. So. You know, there's plenty of banana skin potential here, but let's be honest. You know, if I look at the table, um, then Norwich should be targeting six points from from Birmingham and Cardiff, and then they can bounce into those Sunderland and Millwall games with, uh, you know, suitably confident and looking upwards rather than kind of feeling, you know, the, they've moved off into the distance. I think we've got the deficit between you look at the league table right now, there's three points out of it. Yes, I know there's a few clubs between them and the top six, but. With games plenty of, points plenty of, it's imminently doable. It's not the playoffs are now beyond them. It's just what you feel as opposed to what you see in terms of the league table, what you feel from Norwich's inconsistency in performance. And that if that is maintained from here to the end of the season, it won't be good enough. They need to get a block of wins and a block of positive performances behind them. 
And, you know, every time we get a Wigan, and, you know, let's be honest, they didn't lose the game. So, you know, you could argue, if you want to be rational about it, it's it's sort of bouncing into the or limping into Birmingham, maybe on the back of two unbeaten, you know, four points from six. That's an acceptable tally uh, over any two-game block in this league any time of the season. So, you then follow up with two wins at home this coming next few days at Car Road. Then it becomes 10 points from four games. And, uh, you know, there's nothing too wrong with that type of return. So I think that's I think that's what we have to be mindful of, that while there's swings in performance, the swings in emotion. And that's fans, that's us in the media. You know, where you go from not quite euphoria, but but particularly with the Carra Road factor the other night and, and, and lifting that curse to elation to deflation after Wigan and and the reality is probably somewhere in between and and as long as Wagner particularly but his players can keep more of a, a level equilibrium to it then there's nothing to fear from these next two games you know that I'm sure he'll what he'll re-emphasize now in the days ahead is Park Wigan what did we do last time at Car Road you know against the team in and around the same sort of areas of the table maybe even a bit higher to be honest and they were on a good run haul when they came to Car Road so if you take that as your measure, Birmingham and Cardiff should not send any alarm bells ringing. Norwich need to continue in the same vein they left off at Car Road last Tuesday. Um, and then it can be a good week. And and then when we sit down next Sunday, uh, post-Cardiff, if it's looking back on two wins, then guaranteed everything will be very positive. Um, and that isn't to say that, right, full steam ahead, because you just feel that there's still those underlying issues that aren't going to get resolved between now and the end of the season. Um, but you just hope there's more more in the positive ledger than the than the deficit because that will under underpin the scale of the challenge in the summer. You know, is it not tinkering because I think it needs a little bit more than that, even if they were to go on a positive run, but but is it is it minor surgery rather than major surgery, I guess it would be would be my way of looking at it. And um, and these stepping stones between now and the end of the season will tell us that. So you know, by no manner of means is this a daunting run of games, but but because it's off the back of a really insipid performance at Wigan and a very you know un, un, unsatisfying or unsatisfactory result in terms of what they're still hoping to achieve, I think you start to sort of fear that there's elements in this block of games that could trip them up. So that's only gonna that's only gonna go by what we see at Car Road starting Tuesday night. It, it, it is, and I think I think you're spot on, and it's kind of the point that I was making earlier, really, because the range of performance is so big, because of the results are quite up and down. I think you, it, it's quite easy to be quite reactionary to that, and to and and it, it makes it very hard to step back and analyse it objectively, and I'm sure it makes it difficult for fans who are obviously emotionally invested in it, and it makes it quite hard to uh, have a level-headed nature, but but also to fully comprehend the quality of the team because one moment they can look like a team that should be finishing inside the top six but then the next week they, they look like a side who's kind of mid-table fodder and that becomes very difficult to kind of wrap your head around and to actually fully distinguish what they are from 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 kind of beyond week to week and I guess that's why there probably is a lot of kind of up and down reactions uh odd feelings contrasting emotions from game to game about the way Norwich City play right so um that's going to be very interesting to see whether that sort of maintains and, and is the way it goes over over the, uh, until the, the end of the season. There's some tough games in there. We've mentioned Millwall and Sunderland. They've still got to play Blackburn, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, West Brom. So, they're, they're, I mean, for, for all kind of the games against teams who are at the wrong end of the table, they've got some really challenging ones now between 
uh, between now and the end of May as well. And and I think what's interesting is, and um, we've spoken about David Wagner, from a, from a stylistic perspective, they're not going to change. He's, he's very process-driven. He knows how he wants to play. So it's just about getting players... Uh, in line with that and attuned to that and getting them up to the level quickly. And, and and that obviously requires time on the coaching field. And that is where probably you look at it and you feel, stepping back from it with, with reflection, that it is going to need a little bit longer than than the time that he has at this moment. Because th- those players, as we said, haven't been able to show a consistency. And, and also the way the club has moved as well. You've gone from having someone very process-driven in Daniel Farker, someone who's a bit more adaptable in, in terms of Dean Smith, who didn't have this defined style, this clear way of of playing week to week. It, it, it altered, it changed. Norwich tried to be good at lots of different things and, and probably ended up not being particularly great at any of them. They've now kind of shifted back to being very process-driven, being very philosophical in, in their outlook and, and the way they play. And so suddenly as players, you're going from, being very process driven to not being process driven to back to being process driven. So even the change in, in, in kind of methods that requires uh, adjustment and, and getting used to it again. And, um, and, and, and so uh, as it did with Daniel Farker, there's going to be an element of time that comes with that as players fully get their heads around kind of the nuances and complexities of that system. So all of this makes for kind of very interesting conversation because Obviously, you're trying to adapt to a style of play and you're trying to adapt to methods and everyone uses the word intensity. And if you're not used to that over the course of a season, when you come in mid-season, it makes it very difficult to implement. It does lead to to levels of fatigue that David Wagner spoke about. It probably does bring you back to the feeling of of there's probably a lot to do and not enough time to do it in pad. And, and that, that probably is why there's a lot of feelings that actually maybe the playoffs might fall a little bit short or they might fall a little bit short of the playoffs. But actually, in the bigger picture, if you want to extend that to next season, in terms of their preparation, in terms of getting used to what they, they have done, even though it's not acceptable and it, it isn't what they, they wanted to do this season, in terms of long term, it might not be the worst thing in the world if you want to put a positive slant on it. And that's not to say that that wouldn't make this season uh, a complete you know um, shambles or they haven't achieved what they set out to achieve. It doesn't take away from that. But it just if you want to lean into next season, there is an argument that actually it might not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the time for reflection on this season will will come in due course ultimately. But you know, with Wagner, you have to look forward. You cut, ca- you can't, you, you you can't start to even really hypothesise where this can go under Wagner by sort of looking back to what's gone before because it will be it is completely it is going to be completely different and and it's not just i don't think in terms of the change of coach and the style difference and the philosophical demands that he's going to put on the group of players he's going to take with him on this journey um i think it's it's, it's bigger than that i mean ultimately when you were talking about farker there in my own mind i was i was calculating it and it and it took effectively three transfer windows and a season where they finished I think it was 15th, below Ipswich, unheard of in recent times, before we had the Big Bang and they went on that unbelievable, unexpected in many quarters, first championship title win. But it took that length of time. It didn't take six championship games and bang, there, there we go, off and running. It took a lot of transfer window activity um, and a lot of work on the training pitch, uh, you know, a full season's worth of work. That's where we were. And I'm not, I'm not saying... That is the template, and that's how long it will take Wagner. It may take shorter. It could even take longer. But I think it's reasonable to expect it will take longer than six league games and five or six weeks on the training pitch. 
And the reality is, because of the incessant nature of the games at the minute, how much time is on the training pitch? I think he was asked, was it before the game, um, that essentially what he's, I think it was you, Connor, actually might have asked him, that, that essentially he's, his training days and recovery days now, as will be the case between now and Tuesday. He's not going to be able to really get triple sessions into them and work on, you know, tactics and shape work. It's going to be patching up bodies, particularly at the top end of the pitch. And and can can he can he get enough resource to to put a team together for, for Birmingham or at least the team that he thinks can, you know, go out and get a result. So that's why I think, you know, we have, we do have to be realistic. And it, it, it and it is a bit frustrating because Set against the start of this season before a ball was kicked, promotion was was the be all and end all, and falling short of that is failure. But but we have now essentially, although the change has been made with a view to trying to resurrect this season, if this season isn't savable in terms of promotion, then you know you almost have to reset and and, and understand it as a reset and uh, and and go with it rather than you know there will be time for. Criticism of certain individuals, no doubt, and, and rightly so, because they have fallen short of their own measure, if that is the way it pans out. But but then, very swiftly after that, there has to be an acceptance that, OK, this is a new cycle now. And, um, you know, and again, there's, there's one other parallel between what could happen now and what obviously happened in 1718, and that's the financial backdrop. Back then, there was, you know, very little room for manoeuvre. And that's what made what Wagner, sorry, what Weber and, and Farker achieved even more unbelievable really that it was set against um, a club that were in some serious financial choppy water and they're back there again ultimately uh, despite what's happened in the intervening period with Premier League revenue um, and not spending it to, to the extent where they've maxed out and, and they've achieved what a Brentford may have achieved or maybe even Fulham this season or even Bournemouth look like having a real good go at trying to stay up this season you know, we don't need to reopen that debate unfortunately that's that's the way it is they, they had revenue they haven't really equip themselves as a club unless you want to open up the debate about whether the model had its limitations or not. Um, I think we all agree it did. But within that model, there was still enough revenue that they could have probably achieved better than what looks to be now um, a, a rather meandering sort of sixth to tenth placed finish in the championship. So ultimately, you know, that's another debate or that's another process that's happening and, and we may get a bit more news in terms of the most recent sort of shareholder element to that in the days ahead. But there are parallels, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch. But I think ultimately, we, we probably have to accept that this will take time and, and, and that will include another tour of duty in the Championship, I think, next season. Yeah, I concur. Uh, a few little bits to, to kind of end the pod. Uh, Norwich City women in action today, uh, Sunday, as we're recording this, uh, against Kingsland Town in the uh, Harrod Sport Women's Cup quarterfinal at the Nest. So uh, good luck to them. I believe the final gets played at Carrow Road. So uh, a real opportunity for them potentially to to have a, a Carrow Road fixture before the end of the season, which I, I think we all agree, and we've spoken about it on the podcast before, is uh, is long overdue so that would be that would be very good although uh, it would be a little bit of a shame if that was kind of by nature of them getting to a final of a competition uh, rather than them being kind of invited or hosted there if that makes sense so uh, obviously I think they've got a few home games left as well it would be nice if they could maybe do a home game as well as that cup final but uh, that may not be practical we'll, we'll have to see um, and, and Pat I thought we would share the story of our Friday night up in, in Warrington because we were uh, we were just about we were sitting down to have food, weren't we? we were, uh, some 
uh, waitress came over to, I don't know, was she taking order or she was doing sorting payment or something? She was doing something. Uh, and she yeah, it happened to ask where we come from because obviously when, when we go up to the north, uh, our voices stand out a little bit because we're not, we're not northern. So she was asking uh, where we were from. Uh, she then didn't know where Norwich was. Uh, to which you you added a real level of confusion to her. I think just just explain what you, what you said to her. To not really, Connor. Not re- not if you've got you know a basic understanding of geography. I mean, I, we won't we don't know her name, so we, you know, she'll she'll never know about this re- recording. So we don't need to embarrass her at all. But uh, we won't even give if we don't give the location in terms of the hotel, then we'll, nobody will ever trace her. But uh, she didn't even know when I just tried to keep it in a very generalised, it's the bit that sticks out on the right-hand side as you look at a map. I mean, who doesn't look know where East Anglia is on a weather map? Even if you couldn't point on the map to where Norwich is in terms of a pin, she didn't even she didn't even seem to comprehend that there was a there was actually a bulge on the right-hand side of the UK. So You com- thought, you completely frazzled her when you said it's the well, bit near Holland. And... Well, well, yeah, on reflection, <laughs> probably if I'd have said London, she she probably, if I'd have said we're in, we're in we as in the Norfolk, contingent that was there and that one adopted Norfolkian in myself uh if I'd said greater London that might have been better than I just I've just had in my mind that you know if you were if you but then again if you don't know that there's a there's a bulge in the in the UK map you probably don't know you don't have a clue where Holland is but I thought if if you would sort of as the crow flies from where she was if she was getting a plane from Manchester to Holland i.e. Schiphol she'd go over Norwich or thereabouts but uh yeah on reflection you know I should have probably dialed it back down, and uh, maybe we should have actually drawn her a map. Now I think about it, that might have been a better way of demonstrating it. But who doesn't know where Norwich is? It's the centre of everywhere, surely. Yeah, but then the, the maybe the funnier part of the story comes. Uh, so we have that conversation. She goes off and takes the payment, and then the the lady who's sitting at a table in front of us turns around and goes, "Oh, you're from Norwich, are you?" And there's always one, isn't there? I think she was from some somewhere near Loddon, which is uh, Adam Harvey's neck of the woods. So they they were having a nice little exchange. And then later on in the evening, we had another drop of Norfolk uh, from from kind of another party that were were talking. There's there's always links back to Norwich and back to Norfolk. Absolutely, yeah. No, there was. Uh... And, and before I even sat down, because you boys were already, this is going off in a bit of a unnecessary tangent, but uh, now you've opened it up, up the can of worms. But uh, you lads were already in the bar area where we were going to eat. And uh, I came down in the lift. Very friendly couple engaged me in conversation. Same thing, what why, why I was there and what I was about to do. So, or what we were doing this weekend. And when I mentioned Norwich City, you can get you can guess what, what the reference was to Norwich City. It was a, a certain celebrity chef. So yeah, so you know, some people know what where Norwich and Norfolk is, and who Norwich City are, and what they're all about. And sadly, others don't. I think that was the moral of that story. We've got we've got to mention Hugh Jackman as well, haven't we? Before we close, you you can do that, Connor. You've been a big celebrity watcher. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge celebrity watcher, but yeah. uh, he's he's been on uh, Laura Coonsbow's show. I think this morning actually. I don't, I don't really know what he's speaking about because I haven't I haven't watched it. But it, there was a little clip that that emerged uh, Friday uh, night where obviously he was asked about Ryan Reynolds, who's a good friend of his, who obviously owns Wrexham, uh, and whether he would be interested in 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 buying a, a, an English team. Um, and that obviously then led to the conversation of Norwich City. Hugh Jackman is a Norwich City fan. I think that's that's pretty well known now. But he said instead of buying a team, he wants to uh, he wants to play for it, uh, play for one. So who knows? Hugh Jackman in yellow and green. I think could he do much worse than what, we, what we've seen? Well, so I mean, we, did, we did have the Adam Eda section. I did see rather uncharitable wag on social media said he might do a better job up front than Adam Eda, but that's that's a bit harsh. I think very well, harsh. We've, 
Norwich have had uh, they've had the wolf, haven't they? Van Wolfswinkel. They could now have the Wolverine. That would be nice. That would be uh, that'd yeah. be some good taglines they could get. Ho- that. Hopefully, with more bite than RVW. Let's be honest in, in a Norwich shirt. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I think that's about it, Pad. Unless we've got anything else we we need to mention before we before we close. No, shaking shaking your head. So no, we? no. As, as I say, I mean, you know, maybe uh, all joking aside, we we probably do expect in the coming days a uh, club confirmation on the maybe the yeah. outcome of those. Those shares, Connor, from the from yes. the meeting last week. Yeah, we were expecting uh, those to be taken up by by Mark Atanasio um, very very swiftly. It would take him to a rare or certainly above the threshold that's required for, that re- uh, requires him as is the the kind of code when when these things happen to make an offer to the rest of Norwich City shareholders. Um, well, on that uh, point, right, same... sorry, on that point, Connor, I mean we won't get into this uh, right here and right now, but. Um, I did see something about that Norwich aren't a public limited company or aren't listed as as such, and as as a result, that might not apply that takeover code you're referring to. I, I'm I'm told it will. I'm told it will. It will. Yeah, I'm right. told it will. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it, it basically it, at the price that he's offered uh, that he's bought these yeah. shares that we we won't know that until basically until the he's uh, obligated. He's obligated. Yeah. He's obligated to make an offer to all of the shareholders for the same price. Yeah, I'm, I'm assured that 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 is very much the case. So, um, so that will be that will be interesting. Obviously, if that if that doesn't happen, then then maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I, I'm I'm assured that that is the case. So, that's going to be interesting to see how that all unfolds. I'd expect it certainly to be in the next couple of weeks at the very latest. I think it will be even sooner than that. Um, in, in reality, I think there was a couple of legal bits to, to sort out, but that will give Norwich a financial boost, but also change, uh, as we've discussed since we broke this story almost a year ago now, will change the landscape and the dynamic and the power structures at Norwich City Football Club and the way that the club uh, operates in its finance. So that's uh, that's an interesting subplot between now and, and the end of the season and whether this ramps up. Uh, I'm probably not expecting it to ramp up anymore for a little while, but I think we probably didn't expect it to get to this point for a little while. So that's interesting as well. That seems like an apt place to end the pod. I mean, remarkably, we've got an hour after uh, out of this out of this Wigan game. It wasn't all on the Wigan game, but uh, we, we've managed to get an hour out of it, which feels like we've we've kind of stretched it for all it's worth. Paddy, thank you very much. Thank you to Sam as well. Obviously, he had to to disappear um, slightly early. Thank you all very much for listening. We'll be back next Sunday after those games against Birmingham and Cardiff City. Who knows what the complexion of Norwich City's campaign will look like. Who knows what mood this podcast will be in because uh, it seems to differ week to week depending on performance. We've tried to maybe um, take a step back from it this week and, and, and analyse stuff more in the round. So hopefully uh, hopefully that's come across. Of course, plenty more coverage at pinkin.com and the Pinkin Plus app. Do take a uh, free trial out for that if you get to do so and give it a go. We've got plenty of good stuff coming up between now and the rest of the season on there and uh, I think that uh, leaves us all to say have a good week and uh, we'll see you again very very soon thanks for listening